As dads especially, we are appreciative of the fact that we grow over the years. We grow in our, in our experience, in our ability to share with others. I learned about a, a man recently who shared from the ups and downs of his employment history. It, it started when he gave his seat to a blind person on the bus that he was riding on and got fired because he was a bus driver. <laughs> it is Dad Joke Sunday, by the way. He went on to lose his job at the bank, first day on the job as a teller, when a little old lady asked him to check her balance, and he pushed her over. He then went on to work at Newmarket Monuments. He made one typo on a headstone, and they treated it like it was a grave mistake. That's right. They only get better. His last-ditch effort at an income was to start a restaurant called Karma. There was no menu. You just got what you deserved. Today, we, we, we are going to be talking about growing in Christ as a result of God's training us as his children. And as we grow, we learn to pass on words of wisdom to others. For instance, I told my wife she just needs to embrace her mistakes. So she gave me a hug. I don't understand that. I told my son, for you, the sky is the limit. And he got upset because he wanted to be an astronaut. But getting older also comes with physical changes, as so many of us know. My doctor told me I was going deaf. It was very hard to hear. He also told me a great joke about COVID, but I don't want to spread it around. So, all right. But interestingly, we do come in our verses this morning, as, as God often does, as he plans out the passages that we will uh, go through, there's a lot of mention of God as our Father and our earthly fathers and how we do our best with what we have. Not talking about our kids, we're talking about, you know, like our wisdom and things, doing our best with what we have. But it starts referencing Christ. As you remember from last week, we, were, we, we are called to look to Christ in this race that we are running. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him embraced the cross, even while despising its shame. And we pick up in verse 3, and we're looking at 3 through 11. Consider him, speaking again of Christ, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, an, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us as we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This morning, I want to encourage you to receive, be receiving our loving Father's training. You know, being a father, obviously, to children and, and is very similar in many ways. I believe, and this is my personal opinion, I, I believe that God created human fatherhood as a constant illustration of his relationship to people. As a constant illustration, especially as his relationship, of his relationship to his redeemed people. His redeemed people as we return in Christ to a very similar to relationship that he created us to have with him in the garden. So in many ways, we are in the perfect relationship with Christ, with God as our father, for him to train us as a father is called to train his son or his daughter. I ask you, what puts the dad in the perfect position to make the dad joke? Well, we often are taking advantage of the fact that we normally espouse random wise instructions, right? We might ask a leading question, like, what is the scariest tree? And when our child is leaning in for the next brilliant bit of information, we say, bamboo. Sometimes we spare our kids the worst ones. Like I was going to tell my kids the other day a, a joke about pizza, but it was just way too cheesy. So I just left it out. There's not too many more of these, don't worry. The first step, though, to receiving our loving Father's training is to empower your heart by comparing with Christ. Empower your heart by comparing with Christ, by comparing what you are going through, by comparing your experience to what Christ went through in the process of providing redemption as our Savior in his death on the cross, dying the death that we deserve because of our sins. But rather than us dying the death that we deserve, he died and paid the penalty of our sins by his death. We're told, consider him. It means to tally up, to consider by way of comparison. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In, um, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I'm sorry, it's in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
to, to consider. Like I said, it means to tally up. It's, it's similar to like comparing your scores at the end of a round of euchre. All right, all right, who's got how much uh, after this round, right? It's to help us to not lose heart, to not give up in following him. It is to aid us in our struggle against sin. I think often of how Ephesians 6 reminds us our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against that person that makes us mad or that person that takes advantage of us or that boss that we just can't get along with. Our struggle is against sin. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is in here. It's against spiritual forces that want to cause us to turn away from following Christ. Our battle is not against people that might oppose us or ridicule us, similar to the readers of this letter, the Hebrew readers of this letter were originally experienced. Our struggle is against the temptation to sin. And for them, it was specifically the sin of unbelief to turn away from Christ and coming to Christ as our Messiah. Imagine that you're at a restaurant, right? And the bill is $100 among the four of you. And someone suggests, okay, so with the tip, let's all four of us chip in 30 bucks a piece. Well, what are you doing? You're sitting there going, I know my meal was not $25, right? I got water, and this person got pop and a coffee. And, you know, you're just sitting there, like, tallying it up. But then somebody just kind of pulls out a $100 bill and throws it down. Okay, there's my share. So, right, now you're like, Okay, I can't complain about putting $30 on the table, you know, because we're obviously going to bless this waitress beyond what she's expected. In the same way, as we think about the struggles that we go through, as we think about the ridicule that we face, as we think about the challenges that we run into and, and, and God's drawing us to, to ask ourselves, how does God want me to go through this? As we're sitting there thinking, I'm getting more than I, my share here. We're to think about the payment that Christ laid down in the shedding of his blood. And they're basically being told here, if God hasn't taken you that far yet, then consider this your go-ahead, your green light to keep following him. Calculate the difference between your sacrifice and that of Christ in his suffering and death. And this will help you keep your heart and keep in the fight against unbelief and the, and, and the, and the fight to sin no matter the trial or the temptation. When it comes to your fight against sin, it hasn't cost you your life. So there's no real comparison is what we're being told here. You know, as dads, we have responsibilities to train our children. But it's difficult so often to know how to answer their questions. My son asked me, how do you get a blind person to see? I said, with a boat. Duh. My daughter asked me, how Mississippi got its name? I said, a hippie named it for his wife. Mississippi. There you go. We were at the beach and a nephew asked me, why don't seagulls fly over the bay? Because then they would be bagels. (laughs) 
Well, the next step to receiving our loving Father's training is to expect God to train you as his child. He goes on here to say, have you, and have you forgotten the exhortation? He's quoting a proverb here that addresses you as sons. And you might as well know this as sons and daughters. My son, my daughter, if you will, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, understand, we need to get from here. When he talks about discipline and chastisement in this situation, we kind of automatically think like it's 100% punishment. The term here is speaking of training. The way a, a, a father will train his child, the way a mother will train their child. And he says, uh, really, this is kind of like a summary statement here for them in verse 7. It is for discipline or training that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The picture is almost like, Two children in a family, and we're like, okay, one of us is related to the dad here, and one of us is the slave. One of us is, is you know, could be, could be uh, sent away at any moment. And, and the idea is, okay, we'll know because the one of us that is being trained, the one of us that is being disciplined for taking on the father's name, that's a pretty good clue. That's the one that is going to be staying in the house. That is the son of the master of the house. And Dr. Kenneth Weiss reminds us of an important detail for these original readers. He says, we must keep in mind that this letter is written to the professing Christian church made up of saved and unsaved Hebrews. Both classes were the recipients of the persecution because both classes had left the temple sacrifices and, and identified themselves with the visible church. But only those who would remain under the chastening hand of God would prove themselves to be true sons of God. Those who would renounce their profession of Messiah as high priest and return to the sacrifices in order to escape the persecution would show... By that, that they had never been saved, end quote. So that, this is a large part of why the writer is saying, stay under the discipline of the Lord. It is proving that you are his child. Like I said, we do not like the discipline, the idea of discipline. And because we, we think of, of it as being punishment, but think of it this way, it's, it's kind of like making sure we don't, uh, a child is not spoiled, but they kind of learn the way that life works, right? The way we do that as parents. You know, if, if you, if their children are similar to cows. If you pamper them too much, you're just going to get spoiled milk. Sorry. The definition here of the word discipline is the act of providing guidance for responsible living. It, it means upbringing, training, instruction. We learned it from Hebrews 5.8 that even Jesus developed 
into his role for being our perfect high priest through being trained, by being disciplined by his heavenly father. And he was perfect in all ways. So, so we're talking about, the. it's not just punishment here. We're talking about the necessary development that a parent must make for their child. And in the same way, God develops us through things that we would not choose for ourselves. Discomfort. Un, unappealing experiences. That's how he grows us. F.F. Bruce says this, these words remind those who would, be truly wise, who would be truly wise that when hardship is their lot, they should accept it as God's method of training and disciplining them and discipling them and as a token that they are really his beloved sons and daughters, end quote. These readers were being conformed and comforted by the, the fact that discipline from their loving Heavenly Father was evidence of their salvation. I can remember my, my wife has shared a story uh, from her teenage years. Her best friend was, was her cousin, Billy. And Billy, um, her father's name was William. So he, he got all daughters. He named the first one Willa and the last one Billy. Um, he was a little bitter about uh, not having a son. <laughs> but um, so, so Billy was a little bit maybe more neglected growing up. But that also meant she got to do whatever she pleased. She got to go wherever she wanted. And then Kelly will share how her dad was, you know, had irritated her as a teenager. As oftentimes this happened, he had clipped her wings one more time. And here she was complaining to her cousin Billy. Her cousin Billy responded with this. She said, at least your dad cares about you. At least your dad cares about you. And Kelly saw it in a different light. And that's the picture that we're given here. That, that if God is sovereign over our lives, which we believe he is, if he is sovereign over every detail, then the hardship that we go through is a part of his loving relationship with us to shape us into the image of his son. Always remember that God deals with his redeemed people as children that he loves. And this comes with training, discipline. The reason why we are to stay under the training will of God is to learn the discipline that he desires to teach us. Any person that claims to know Christ but doesn't find themselves being trained by him should be concerned that they may not even, he may not truly be their father. Or if they're in obvious sin and they don't find themselves convicted, they don't find themselves under the, the, the penetrating guilt and shame of the Holy Spirit, there is a guilt and shame that is holy when it is from God. They need to wonder if he is in their life. Or as the Bible exposition commentary says, if I resisted God's will and did not experience his loving chastening, I would be afraid that I was not saved. 
All true children of God receive his chastening. All others who claim to be saved but who escape chastening are nothing but counterfeits. End quote. So the next step in receiving our loving Father's training is also to embrace God's good work as nurture. We read, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Dads, feel free to elbow your kids there with verse 9. Shall we much, not much more be subject to the Father of spirits? Notice the, the contrast there. Earthly fathers, if they trained us and disciplined us, shall we not much more be subjected to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. We see here that dads are limited in our time in training our kids. He says that, that, that uh, these earthly fathers disciplined for a short time. We are limited in our brains, in our wisdom, in knowing what to do. I love how God's word recognizes our flaws. Dads, take this opportunity to recognize that we make mistakes, but God doesn't. His work with us, his training work is perfect. What we want to say, I don't need this, Lord. I don't need this right now. I'd really like it if you took this away. He's saying, trust me. I know. Trust me. He trains us for our whole life, and it is always for our good. Or as Don Guthrie says, however high the principles on which an earthly father acts, he is not infallible. He or we are governed by our own pleasures, which may at times be unwise or even against the best interests of the son or the daughter. By contrast, God's knowledge of us is perfect. And what he does is for our good. For he understands what discipline is needed. He will never overdo it, nor will he neglect it. He wants to make his sons and daughters like himself. He has a specific aim that they may share in his holiness. While the earthly father's action is essentially short term, the heavenly father is concerned with our eternal welfare. Sharing his holiness is the antithesis to a short-term benefit, end quote. You know, I remember reading a story about a, a young man who, who was very selfish. Like, anytime there was the opportunity for him to, to, to take the most of something, the biggest pizza pizza, or, or you know, uh, the best uh, slice of pie or whatever, he was on it. So one day what his parents decided to do was they were making these rolls in which there was – this was a, a story I read from another culture. I don't know if we have something like this. But they were making these rolls that have a, a savory meat baked into them, all right, like a Hot Pocket that you make at home. And, and, um, and so – but they made one of them that was, it was distinctly larger than all the other rolls. And they knew what their son was going to do. And as soon as um, 
They, they, they uh, prayed and said amen. He reached out and grabbed the biggest roll. And he took a big bite. And there's no meat in it. He's like, and he tears it over. He's like, what gives? Well, he knew pretty soon his parents were trying to teach him a lesson. They were, they were working according to his bent. As the Proverbs tell us, train up a child in the way that they should go according to their bent. And they're working from wisdom, the way that God works with us. Aside from the fact that God is training us as sons and daughters, if we are willing to submit to that training, to the training of our earthly fathers, we should be willing to submit to God's. Our earthly fathers worked with limited knowledge and for limited time on our, in this earthly sphere. But our heavenly father loves us perfectly, knows all and is at work for our eternal good. And that eternal good is in our being made more godly in the process of life. Like the chorus of a song says, God is too wise to be mistaken. He is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. That is what we're being told here. But we need to recognize some of us didn't have dads for very long. Or maybe what seemed best for them, to them, was actually pretty lousy for us. But we see how God encourages us to learn from him. See how God encourages us to look to him. God is transforming even our past experience. Some of us dads ended up with the opposite of artificial intelligence, natural stupidity. And for some of us, the best gift we ever got from our dad was a broken drum. But hey, you can't beat it. Lastly here, the next step to receiving our loving father's training is to envision God's plan for present difficulties. He says, for the moment, all discipline or training seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I imagine Rocky and his trainer, Mickey. You know, Mickey's, you know, riding on the bike, chasing after Rocky. As Rocky's running, he's like, come on, Rock! <laughs> you know, and, and that, that is the training. It's not, it's, does, it seems painful rather than pleasant. But it's to yield something awesome. And what we're described here is the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it, staying under it. What a recognition. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. God doesn't expect us to, to simply yell, Sir, yes, sir, when he tells us to drop and give him 20 and to do it with a smile on our face. No, he recognizes. His son went through it. It's painful. And he as a father put his son through it. But we are called to do, what we are called to do is to trust him. 
As we're told in Romans 8, 28 through 29, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that good? Well, we're told in the next verse. For those who he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is the good that God is working all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, his redeemed children. And at the time of training, anything that brings growth in Christ is going to be downright painful rather than being a cakewalk. But in its end, it's received as God's work in us toward righteousness rather than us being dragged through it, kicking and screaming. The idea here of, of bearing the fruit of righteousness is like the idea of the fruit that comes after pruning the plant. Putting it through that painful experience of having wood or, or parts of it of cut off for the purpose of gaining greater fruit. The peaceful fruit of righteousness, even out of the turmoil, out of the undesired experience. The goal is greater fruit, more flowers, or, or whatever the gardener desires from the plant. And that is where we are to be at in our relationship with the Lord. I thought about this as I was working in the yard some time ago. What do you think of, of when I say the term deadhead? Right? Some of you Grateful Dead fans, uh, think about those that would follow them around, follow the band Grateful Dead around the country, checking out with numbing drugs. The psychedelic experience, right? Some of you that have worked on in the airline industry, like, like I did through seminary, think of the deadhead uh, is when a plane finally comes to rest for the night. That's its deadhead stop. It's not going to go any further. It's going to get cleaned. It's going to get prepped for the next day. Some of you who are gardeners, think of deadheading as, as the process of plucking off the buds that have already bloomed and, and now they're kind of starting to go to seed. So if you, you need to pluck that bloom off so that the plant will say, oh, I need to make more seeds and bloom more for greater beauty and purpose. What kind of deadhead will you be when our loving Father is training you? Will you run to something that numbs the pain? That kind of deadhead? Will you stop your progress refusing to carry on? That kind of deadhead. Or will the deadheading be what allows you to be pruned for greater beauty? And fruitfulness. What kind of deadhead will you be? Let's bow our heads.